Hey there, this is Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley. It's a podcast about making things up and making things happen. I love to talk to creative types about how they do their thing, how they get their breaks, how they hang in there, how they keep it going. And today my guest is a filmmaker named Matt Ogans. He is the documentarian around the new film Audible that is available to watch on Netflix. Um, it's up on the short list for the Oscar documentary shorts. Uh, they make a short list and then they narrow it down to the final nominees. So it's on that short list and we're keeping our fingers crossed that it'll make the final nominees. It's set in the Maryland School of uh, the Deaf, a high school, um, where we follow a deaf football player, Amari McKinstry, and his friends. And it's kind of this coming of age. It's very immersive. It's very cool. You can watch it on Netflix. And after I saw it, I'm like, I want to talk to this guy. So uh, we talked to Matt. But before we get to the interview, I want to mention that I'm very happy to be part of the DNR um, Studios collection of podcasts as of this year. It's a different kind of podcast service. You can subscribe for $12.95 a month and you get my show and all of these other shows. It's very cool. But if you don't want to do that, you can also just listen as you've always listened. But one of the cool things that I have as part of the DNR Studios family is I have a phone call, a phone line that you can call and leave messages and I can play them on the show, questions, comments about episodes, uh, things things like that. And that number is one 888 Six four seven nine six five three. So, if you ever want to weigh in on anything about the show, you can call that number and um, leave a message, and maybe I'll play it on the show. All right, that's enough plugs. Here, without any further ado, it's filmmaker Matt Ogan. Joining me now via Zoom, it's Matt Ogans. He's the director of the film Audible, a documentary that is currently playing on Netflix. I watched it. And it had all of the feels for, um, it's not a feature length, it's, it's what, 38 minutes? But 38 had, minute doc short, yeah. But emotionally, it felt like it had all that stuff. So congratulations, mm-hmm. I felt like I had a full meal. Um, <clears throat> and it was very moving, congratulations. Thank you, thank you so um, much. How would you describe the film to someone that was interested in it? Yeah, um, it's a coming of age film set in a deaf high school. Uh, it follows a deaf senior, um, and what makes it even more, I guess, more stakes is that certainly, you know, graduating high school, going out to college of the world is a big turning point for anyone. But if you're deaf, coming from a, the utopia and safety of a deaf high school, and now you're going off into, let's say, the hearing world, there's a lot more at stake. Um, so it's following Amari, this senior, and his relationships. Um, what it's like to be a deaf teenager. Yeah, and he really kind of immerses us in that world. And we see his parents, we see his friends. Um, and the, the football games that you film, they're so high stakes because they're not just trying to win. They're trying to prove that they can do it, right? That's, all it's, that's what it's about. And that's so, like, you know, for regular teams, you win some, you lose some, right? But it seems to mean so much more, and you can feel it, you know. It's not, you know, I don't look at it as a sports doc. It's not, um, you know, that's more of a metaphor, right? Like, we're using, or they're using football, you know, like you said. That's that's the that's the way they're expressing themselves, or Amari's expressing himself to prove himself. Where right. Jalen is through cheerleading. Yeah, and I matter, and I'm as important as everyone else. Totally. And I, I need to be reckoned with. How did the project come to you? 
So it took me over 10 years to get made. Um, it came to me in a few sort of serendipitous ways. So one, I grew up about 30 minutes away. I grew up in D.C., Maryland. So right. I knew of the school. Um, more importantly, my best friend since I was seven to this day is deaf. And so I had a foot in the deaf community through him. And then early on in my career, I directed documentaries, but also branded content. And I got this um, campaign I directed, uh, sort of like a Friday Night Lights, at high schools around the country. And one of them was Maryland School for the Deaf. So it brought me back to where I grew up. And it brought me to a subject that was important to me because of my best friend. And I knew there was a bigger story to tell. And so it took over 10 years to get financed. I mean, it was different partners, stops, starts, almost, maybes, no's. Um, and then... You know, the stars aligned and I brought to Netflix and they got it. And I'm glad it took that long because remember, I wanted to follow a senior. So that means every single year I had to recast. Oh my gosh. Right. But don't think about it every year. Right. So if I hadn't waited 10 years, I wouldn't have had that storyline of Amari and Jalen and Teddy and Lyra and all of that wouldn't have had that. So I'm glad it took this long. Right. Because your movie has everything. It has parent drama. It has all the things kids are dealing with. Bullying, suicide. A pro you even have a prom or a dance. Sexuality. Like, yeah, all of know. it. And, and it all so seamlessly integrates. Um, how did Netflix come into the mix? Did they give you the money to make it or did you make yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, we pushed it to them. Yeah, so when, you know, once I, you know, I'd go every year, every other year when I'd visit my family, let's say Thanksgiving or a holiday, I'd pop into the school and say hi and, you know, gain their trust, right? And um, and recast every year. Right. Um, so once I had, you know, that amazing, powerful story of Amari and Jalen and Teddy and Lyra and that, that combination, that's what we pitched to Netflix and they really connected with it and got it. I mean, it was a pretty great collaboration through and through. It was very important to me. And I was excited to learn from them that um, we're not just making this film for a hearing audience. It's as much, I would argue, even more so for a deaf audience. So getting that right and the, the sensitivities around accessibility and representation, so important. Yeah. Um, it looks great. It looks like Friday Night Lights. It doesn't mm -hmm. look like I have a camera and I'm a fly on the wall. It has a cinematic quality to you, to it. How, why is that important to you and how did you achieve that? Um, you know, I don't want to come off as pretentious. I like all docs, but for me, I've always felt that documentaries are not an excuse for bad craft, that it's a moving image and it still needs to look good. It doesn't need to look like Audible, but it right. needs to look good, in my opinion. Could be raw, could be handheld, could be lots of things, but you know, there's good and there's not so good. And so craft to me is as important as character and story and emotion. They they all complement each other because after all, it's a moving image just like a narrative. So visually, me, I I approach documentaries visually like a narrative. And then the authenticity comes from what happens within that composition. It comes from the characters, right? I don't ever tell people what to say. Right. I'm thoughtful about the style, right? I'm thoughtful about how I'm going to compose things when I can, 
there's verite scenes I have no control of. Right. So I really wanted, and also I spent a lot of time with these kids and doing R and D, which is for me, you know, what do you listen to? Send me your Spotify list. What do you watch? What do you read? What movies do you like? Right. You dream. Cause I wanted to create a palette that like, I didn't want to make an observational film that it's Matt Ogan's telling their story. I just wanted to be a liaison or a conduit for them to tell theirs, give them an opportunity. So I kind of, I guess, curated what spoke to them, how they dreamed, how they saw and turned it into, okay, what's the visual interpretation of that? And what's the audio interpretation of that with sound and music to make it feel like a, a, an immersive experience for the audience that felt like it was, you're on the ride with them and you're, it's their story, not my story. Yeah. That comes across. I kind of felt that it didn't spell everything out. You kind of had to piece things together. It was cool that way, but the photography of the sports, for example, that had a real cinematic quality. Was that just one camera or did you really shoot those sports games with more? Um... No, I mean, with the two games, we filmed a few games, like four, but two that were in the film. No, we used for the game days three cameras yeah. um, for that, for that. So, you know, I'd say most days we shot with two cameras, games, three cameras, some days one. Yeah. It's funny to think about when you started this project, Netflix was the company that sent DVDs in the mail. And 10 years later, Ooh. they're your partner, right? True. It's yeah. wild. Um, I got this feeling watching it, and I could be wrong, but the school didn't seem as cliquish in the way that you often see high schools depicted, and even our own experience of high school, where there's the jocks, and then there's the nerds, and then there's the gay yeah. kids. <clears throat> but it seemed like they were all friends together and the cheerleader the male cheerleader is good friends with the football player it seemed less cliquish but maybe that was just the the people that you picked but no, I, I, that, that's the vibe i got um dennis i think you really i think you're right on now of course me and you are not there every day i don't know who says what or if there's bullying and all that but i certainly got that feeling we felt that as the crew that wow this is a really special place it's a safe place where you can be anything. You can be white, black, gay, straight. You see it in the film. I never witnessed anyone bullying someone else because of who they are, you know, quite the opposite, you know, they stand up for each other. Um, still teenagers, shit happens, but I felt that, I felt that what you're yeah. saying of that, that connection. And, and I think one of the reasons is think about it. Like, look at how they're all bonded right? How are we and you similar? It's, it's nothing's going to be the same as a group of people that are bonded because they all have the same sense hearing in this case that right. it's compromised in some way, whether it's full deaf or partial, um, you know, that kind of bond is right. Be deeper and stronger than, cause it's almost that, that lack of hearing or some level of hearing creates a community, not a disability. It's a community. It's a culture. American sign language yeah. is a, is a real language. And so now they have their own community. They have their own culture. That bond, you know, I think is part of why on campus you have that, that bond, that feeling that it wasn't, that it wasn't clickish. Look at the film. You have a, you have a jock and a gay male cheerleader that are 
tight. They're good friends. They're really good friends. It's Amari and Jalen and their friendship. I, it really moved me. It felt real. And in my high school, the idea of even having a male cheerleader felt like the future, the 20th century. Like, yeah. you can't even imagine it. Yeah. Um, talk to me about the character of Teddy, who we don't see. Teddy's like a cautionary tale. And I don't want to give too much away, but in some ways, he's a catalyst for the film, right? He may not be there, but you feel his presence. And it's a catalyst. It's certainly a catalyst for why Amari a football player, a jock, at least on the surface, he's much deeper and sensitive than that. And Jalen, a gay male cheerleader, who's much tougher than you think, uh, Teddy in some ways is why they became friends. Yeah. Uh, uh, Out of tragedy comes something beautiful, perhaps. Comes something beautiful. And uh, Jalen says something in the movie that I feel like just writing on my dream board or like just like putting on a refrigerator. Life is short. Be yourself. That's yeah. it, right? I mean, it's simple, right? But it's, it's so it's simple. Cool. Yeah. What were some of the challenges of making the movie for you? As crazy as it sounds, I wouldn't say it was any more challenging just because it was deaf and sign language. I mean, there's different, not necessarily harder. The challenges were the same challenges you have in any documentary. It's just it's just hard, right? Yeah. You uh, you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know the ending. I don't know if they're going to win a game. I don't know if Jalen, I'm sorry, if, if I don't know if Amari and Lyra are going to be together or not be together. Yeah. I don't know anything. And so that's hard, right? And so the, the stress of that and the not knowing, and, you know, it's just a very hard genre, um, but it's also what makes it rewarding. Yeah. Do you speak sign language yourself? You said you, you had a friend. Uh, I, I don't speak sign language fluently. Me and my producer, Jeff McLean, um, took sign language lessons for about two months leading up to it for the purposes of, like, showing respect, you know? Yeah. I, I wasn't going to be able to learn it fluently that fast. It takes a long time. Yeah. But to be able to say my name and ask questions and some basics – is really helpful. You know, as a, as a filmmaker, I've told stories around the world in, in so many languages that I just could never learn them all. Yeah. Um, but it's also like, I don't know, that's my curiosity of trying to go into other places and, and groups and communities and be curious and learn and, and go in not knowing too much. Yeah. That's then I'm learning too. It's not just about the audience. I want to learn something and not know it all either. I want to yeah. be surprised. How did the school itself feel about you guys making this movie? <clears throat> Man, they were so supportive. And I think part of it is time. You know, I spent ten, over 10 years showing up. I would spend, you know, first I did right. a commercial that really, you know, this branded content thing that really, it was good. They liked it, right? They saw what I did, but I stuck with them. You know, I showed up when I'd visit my family and I'd go there, right? And I'd, in some ways, they invited me in at a certain point, you know? Right. And you'd shown a commitment to being interested in the subject. And um, what was it like when you found out you were on the Oscar shortlist? Because uh, that feels like... I mean, it's, kind of- it's odd. It's humbling. It's great. I'm grateful. I mean, to me, you want to know how it made me feel mostly? Really amazing for the people in the film and the deaf community because... It's their film, and if 
being shortlisted or beyond helps elevate the deaf community, you know, in terms of representation, putting them on the map, teaching people that they're the same, different, but the same, right? Right. Um, different, not less than. Right. Um, and what a beautiful culture. Then that's amazing. And the crew and all the people that worked on it, Niall DeMarco, my, one of my executive producers, who's a deaf advocate. Um, oh, I know from Dancing with the Stars. There you go. Yeah, yeah. And so extremely dreamy. He's he, ex- went to Mar- he went to Maryland School for the Deaf. Oh, that's where he's from, right? He's from my hometown. He went to MSD. And in fact, his brother is in the film. His brother's one of the assistant football coaches. Nice. But all just lined up and like, you know, Niall was one of these kids. And Niall being a deaf man, a deaf advocate, um, a deaf gay man, um, he really helped me. Remember I said this film is for the the deaf as well? He helped me get it right. Little things. Little things as simple as how the subtitles even come up, the flow of them, the timing of them. You, you would never think about as an audience member, made such a difference. My feeling was watching it, oh, we're going into their world. Like I, I kind of had to, as a viewer, it wasn't going to be just spoon-fed to me. I was going into a, in a world and just seeing how, what it was like, I guess, how it felt. Try. Um, yeah. Your film is 38 minutes long? Yep. When you set out to do this, were you thinking that's a, I'm shooting for that? Or is it we're going to see what the story tells us? I, I, I really thought of it in just in terms of a, it's a film yep. and a story. And I don't think of it as like 38-minute film is a film, a five-minute film is a film, and a two-hour film is a film. And yeah. I, I went and just collaborated and discussed it with Netflix. And actually, originally, I was thinking of it as possibly a feature or a doc series and then started collaborating and developing it with Netflix. And they really sold me on the short form of like, let's make a really tight focused film and follow one main character and all the other relationships really is through Amari's point of view. Um, and I got excited by that. Yeah. I mean, I liked, you know, at least with Netflix, they don't, they didn't look at it as this is a short film. And it goes in this section of our platform. It's this is a film. It's right next to the other films. Yeah, it 38 is. Thirty-eight minutes. There you go. Um, Amari's father is in the film. Talk to me about what he brings to it and what it was like shooting them together. Sure. In some ways, it's that's about acceptance too, right? Um, you know, when Amari Amari was not born deaf. He uh, he got meningitis when he was two. Now, my best friend. That's how he became deaf at the same age as Amari meningitis took his hearing. And so um, around when Amari became deaf, his father left the picture. That was part of it. There's other reasons too. And again, that felt like it fit the theme of the film, just like Teddy, you know, of just acceptance. And finally, um, you know, his father came around and they're, they're rebuilding their relationship. Yeah. It's poignant. Talk to me about why Amari was the guy you wanted to follow. When what what was it about him that you're like you know, this you is know, the guy? To me, of course, his personality. You know, right. I just love. But I'd say, in terms of story points and conflict, his relationship with his father and the Teddy, his relationship with Jalen, right, and the Teddy storyline. Those are the reasons. Yeah. Those 
those things check off boxes for, to me, just great storytelling intention, right? That speak to the bigger theme of the film of acceptance. Yeah. And uh, Amari rocks a red tutu at one point uh, when he comes out, like a little, and I just thought, like, this would not happen in my high school. Like, people being able to express themselves in that yeah. way. And just just kind of not caring and having fun, right? Yeah, and I do think also, like, probably these younger generations from us, you know, there is more. They you know, depending on where you are, what part of the country you're in. Yeah. I mean, there's so many reasons to be afraid for the future, climate, so many things. But when I look at young people and how they don't seem as hung up on sexuality and gender and things like that, it makes me feel hopeful. Is that something right. you've observed? Yeah, definitely there. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. What's it like knowing your film is on Netflix and so many people can see it? Because I've made some short films and sometimes you'll get on a compilation DVD or just, there's just not a way for people to see them. Yeah. And yours is kind of on the biggest platform going. It's surreal. I mean, again, I'm pretty <laughs> introverted and quiet and don't like talking about myself that much or I get awkward about it. Um, so it's humbling, you know, um, it's, it's humbling that they connected with the story, you know, with the project. So I'm just grateful. It's, it's amazing and surreal. And, you know, I'm really, it's amazing. Netflix and all the streamers just a lot, you know, really supporting filmmakers, especially documentaries more than ever and taking chances and doing different kinds of documentaries and different type kinds of styles and conventional ones and unconventional ones. And it's amazing. It's amazing. Have you heard from people that have watched it? I would imagine with yeah. that kind of reach, there would be probably people that oh, you might um, hear from. And we played at a lot of film festivals. So you get feedback and, you know, listen, I want everyone to like it. Who do I care most that likes it? The kids in the film, the school, the deaf community. And, and that's been very positive. Yeah. What did the kids think when they saw it? They're blown away. I mean, you know, they don't, they're civilians, right? They don't know production. Right. They see the cameras, they, they're in it. They don't always know how it's going to look once it's put together. Right. Edited, music. They didn't know what, they hear the word documentary, they're expecting, oh, it's a bunch of interviews. They don't, you know what I mean? So I think they were really blown away seeing themselves, but also the way it was shot and put together. I think it was very surprising and unexpected yeah. for them. Is there something you've heard from somebody that's seen it that you'll always remember that really sticks with you? Either a letter or an email or somebody at a festival, a story? Give me a second. There's a yeah. really nice, um, if I can find it. That's all right. Give me a Take second. A really beautiful quote from the principal of the school. Oh, I love it. And I hope I have it. Okay. Or do you want to read it? Because this is an audio thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, great art, even when full of sadness and pain, touches something human in us and makes us aspire to be better. This film does that. I am so excited for our community and the world to see Audible. And that was for an email that we got from Kevin Strait, Strait, S-T-R-A-C-H-A-N, I don't want to butcher the name, who's the superintendent at Maryland School for the Deaf, where we filmed. Yeah. Are there a lot of schools like that? 
in the Death country? Holes? Yeah. Are there a yeah, lot? Yeah. Now, obviously not as many because, you know, but there's usually, I don't want to say one per state, but, right. um, you know, off the top of my head, I know I can think of probably six or seven deaf high schools in the U.S. that I could rattle off. Yeah. So, so it, is a, it is a thing. What I thought was interesting is also how the other teams related to the team. Like a lot of hearing teams didn't want to play them. Um, didn't want to play the football team. Is that right? Yeah, yeah I wrote that down. Well, you know, they don't want to admit it, but as Coach Ryan in the film says, um, you know, they're a really good team. And perhaps uh, a, a hearing team may not want to admit to lose, may not want to lose to a deaf team. Right. And so they certainly have trouble, the coaches, scheduling games every year um, because of that. They have trouble scheduling games because people don't want to play against a deaf team. They'll make, um, they don't wanna, I, no, they don't want to lose to a deaf team. They don't want to lose to a deaf team. I don't know a ton about football, but it seems to me, are there considerations that are different for another team playing a deaf team? It's the same, right? If there was, then, you know, I don't think that, that, that at least this team would want that because then all of a sudden it's not right. equal. Right, but, but I was trying to think if there's something about it that I'm not thinking of or, you know, but but it, they're, it's pretty much the same. Um, and they're good. And the coaches were cool to hear from the coaches. Oh, yeah. I like that you were able to get the opposing team's coach because he says something like, oh, forget that they're deaf, right? Like that was... Yeah, they'll use that as a strength, he says. Yeah. Interesting. So yeah. interesting. Do you follow up and see how Amari and everyone's doing? All the time. I text so what's your, all the time. Do you email? Do you, are you guys on a text chain? We text with each other all the time. They'll text me. I mean, I think I texted them a couple of days ago. Yeah. And everyone's doing all right. They're great. I love it. So let's remind people how they can see the movie. It's on Netflix, right? Globally, around the world. It's called Audible. It's on Netflix. It's now streaming. Um, it's shortlisted right now, um, so I hope you watch it and consider it and share it. Um, yeah, it's really, it's actually quite personal to me. It's a really important film, I, I, I guess, for the reasons I stated, you know. Yeah, 10 years of your life. Yeah, and my connection with my best friend in some ways, it's like right. maybe unconsciously, subconsciously, a way for me to learn about him and connect with him. Yeah. And, and sort of show how much he means to you. What does he think of the film? Oh, he loves it. He was also unexpected. He's like, oh, a documentary. It's going to be a bunch of interviews. He didn't, you know, because it's not what he does. So he right. was excited. And I, I showed him some cuts because I wanted notes from him because, again, I wanted, I, I needed that perspective. Right. It needs to feel right. How many films are on the short list? How long is the short list? 15 films. 15. All right. Well, I'll 15 be- amazing films. I'll be keeping my fingers crossed for you. Um, and I hope everyone checks out Audible. Final question. Why do you make films? Hmm. I, I'm just really curious about other people, right? I just, I, I want to know about the person I'm passing on the street that maybe other people just pass and don't pay attention to. And I think it's just, Hey, you know, if I'm curious, maybe other people will be. And, um, yeah, I don't know. Taking that curiosity, going into other communities and bringing their stories back. I'm, I mean, I, I like to think I'm just a window for other people to tell their stories. 
I love it. It's beautiful. I don't it's know fun. if I'm answer or not, but I like it. I like it. I think it's great. It's hard to um, describe. I just love doing it. You just love it. Have you always yeah. loved it? When did you first? No, you I didn't know. That, look, I grew up as a kid in Maryland. I didn't know you could be an artist as a for a living. You know, I, I was creative and I would draw when I was very young. But oh, you're you know, you get a job. You're a doctor. You're a lawyer. Right. You get a job in corporate America. I didn't know. And in fact, I went to business school and briefly worked in the World Trade Center, um, very briefly, and then just decided I wanted to be a filmmaker. And because I did, I wanted to create something for other people, not for myself. So I just, I just figured it out. That PA'd, worked from the bottom, studied, learned, paid attention, busted my butt, proved myself. There you are. All right. It was so fun talking to you, Matt. Congrats on the movie. I hope a lot Thanks of people watch me. it. And um, I hope uh, the, the award season goes great for you guys, too. Thanks, Dennis. I appreciate you having me. Thanks again to Matt Ovens. Check out his movie on Netflix, Audible. And for those of you that are into Oscar pools, and you know how you never know any of the documentary shorts or the short movies, well, maybe you'll know one now. Audible, hopefully. I hope he gets the nomination. Right now he's on the short list. We have to wait and see. But I'm sure with my tens of listeners, it'll be no problem getting him over the hump in that movie. All right, so this happened. I went to the theater and saw Everybody's Talking About Jamie, uh, the musical, here at the Amundsen. And it was so fun to be at an event. And I saw people that I knew outside. And it was like, hi, uh, look, they dressed up. Um, it was fun. And uh, I enjoyed the show. I have to say, I think I like the movie version of it that was on Amazon better than the stage play. I just think the movie was terrific and uh but I enjoyed it. I enjoyed both. But one thing I have noticed in a lot of recent gay coming-of-age movies, like The Prom and everybody's talking about Jamie, there's actors that are hired to be the oppressive people, like the bigoted principal. And in, in Jamie, there's a really horrible dad that doesn't want anything to do with his drag queen son. I feel like the actors in these roles, their heart's not in the hatred anymore. They can't really lean into it. They're like, you're an abomination. I'm sorry, I can't say this. Like, you could just feel like they want to pal around with the the kids in between takes. They uh, don't feel it in their hearts, the the bigotry. It's not there for them. And they're trying to act it, but they still want you to know in that curtain call that they're really nice and they get it. And I'm sure that there are plenty of bigots out there in the world uh, that these stories are, are, are depicting. But they're probably not actors and in musicals because that's a really pretty gay-friendly world. And I don't know. I'm just. I'm. It's harder and harder to find really good gay villains or, or anti-gay villains. I guess is my point. All right, that's enough for this week. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next time on Dennis. Anyone? Bye. Bye.